0: We're going to begin in a moment, Genesis chapter one. But I want to talk to you this morning about obviously Father's Day. I want to talk about Christian parenting. How many know we can raise healthy kids in a mixed up world? And this is not just a message for moms and dads, it's a message for anyone that relates to kids. And I would dare say that's all of us. All of us have either kids, grandkids, we have cousins, we have friends at school, we're coaches, we're teachers, Uh, there's kids in the neighborhood. Uh, Sometimes we bless them, sometimes we we see things other than a blessing over them, but we've got kids all around us and God cares for kids and the hope that I want to give you today is no matter what shape your family may be in today, it can be better, come on, as we follow the Lord. And in this theme of family, I want to share some pictures with you. My family and I just got back from a couple-week vacation, celebrated my 60th birthday, the Blue Ridge Mountains of Georgia. And I started my vacation where I was born in Mississippi, and I got to baptize a childhood friend. And uh, he called me, so that's kind of the way we started. But one of the big things about our, our vacation is uh, my son John and Brittany going to have a baby in September, and, of course, it's the big baby reveal. Is it a girl or is it a boy? And uh, I really don't think they knew, but they found out it was a boy, John Henry Miller V. It was blue fireworks in the air. So we thought it was cool. The neighbors didn't, though. They came out of the house screaming, What are you doing? It's no fireworks here. <laughs> anyway, that's my mom. My mom, actually, what she's given to Brittany, uh, you know when you go to the hospital, you have a baby. Everybody gets a little bracelet with baby's name on it. Well, when I was a little baby, a long time ago, they would literally make it out of beads, and they would spell your name with blue little beads. On, uh, anyway, mom's given that to her as kind of a family memento. I was too cheap to buy a picture frame, so we made one out of Georgia wood there. Um, fishing, of course. My son loves to fish, and, and I do, too. And... Uh, I know you think I couldn't catch a big fish, but I was I was fishing for sushi, and I I, I did pretty good. Uh, zip lining, Rebecca and I, the only ones brave enough to zoom through the trees there, that was a lot of fun, about 75, 80 feet up in the air. Uh, we had three fashion models that came on the trip with us, uh, and whitewater rafting, that was probably the highlight there. There was like a 3.7, the whitewater there, it was really cool, and I won't tell you who pushed me in the water, but it was... Uh, it was lots of fun. Our pets were glad we were home and they were back in their own little room. And this is what my daughter Rebecca thinks of our family. I can only assume it's the canistracy side of the miller she was referring to. But this morning we're talking about Christian parenting. And I want to begin kind of two parts in the message. First part of the message is, is, is a, a foundation for God's view, what God thinks about marriage, what God thinks about raising kids, the whole notion of family, what's it supposed to be, and then we're going to go into needs that kids have. I'm going to talk about four needs. All of us can relate to it, whether you're little kids or big kids. Um, We're going to talk about the needs that all of us have that we can even help folks along the journey. So I think everybody's going to get something from the message today, but I want to begin in Genesis 127 with the biblical concept of marriage, family, and parenting. And I'm going to say some things today that I want you to think critically about how our beliefs as a Christian. And let me say up front, I believe the Bible is the literal word of God. I believe that the Bible is not just an archaic book of commandments and history. I believe the, book, uh, 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 the Bible is what God's word declares it to be, the literal word of God, that its truths are relative to us today. It's not just something that people had when, before they you know, were smart before we had iPhones and before we drove cars. But the Bible is God's Word and it's timeless in its truths. Uh, as we talk about that, we're going to look at the book of Genesis about the first family. And I want to suggest to you that the book of Genesis, scholars refer to as the book of beginnings. If you want to look at the beginnings of humanity, I mean, no, you don't go to a scientist and ask him to show you the class of amoeba that evolved eventually over billions of years into a human being. The Bible says, uh, well, the beginning place of science. If I'm in a science class or if I'm going to pursue science as a career, the beginning place for me is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, say it with me, God created the heavens and the earth. A pre-existent God living outside of time in the realm in which we know today. But God created what we know and what we see today. So obviously, modern science is, is in some way at odds with the Bible. Much of what they say is true, much of what research affirms. But let me know, if you're just a little bit off, when you build this superstructure of knowledge, some of your conclusions are going to be wrong. For example, I think our worldview should start in the book of Genesis in terms of the value of people. Uh, if you're going to have a discussion about about the value of a human being, you see that humans are created in the image of God. And whether this deals with the subject of abortion, around the world today, we've made choices to protect the planet. We've chosen not to use a class of chemicals that would kill mosquitoes. And now literally hundreds of thousands of people die every year from preventable diseases. Uh, We've chosen not to use a type of refrigerant. So people can't have a refrigerator to keep food and care for their food. And because of that, millions of people die every year. Now, listen, it's important that we care for our planet, but how many know human beings are a little more important, come on, than this earth that will one day be burned up? So the book of Genesis is a book of beginning in terms of the thinking of our worldview. And I look at it as indeed, as it declares, as absolute truth. Now, the first family, Genesis one twenty-seven, it says, God created human beings in His image. Now, that doesn't mean God's six foot tall and balding. But what it means is God, we have the capacity to reason, to love as God does. Uh, we have the capacity to, to, to engage other people. But it goes on and it says this, God created them, what's it say? Male and female. Male and female masculine and feminine. God cre- and then he blessed them. Now when, when it says God blessed them, it means that God affirms this. God says this is the right way that you should look at humanity and gender, male and female. And he said this, have many children and grow in number. So here we see the nucleus not only of marriage, we see the role of gender, we see the beginning of family where children come into this world. Now the first family and the first home had a female mom, a male dad, and a lot of kids. Mom was a woman, dad was a man, and family was a good thing. Let me say it again. Mom was a woman, dad was a man, and family was a good thing. How many of you know, would, would agree today that that is nothing like you see on primetime TV today? It's nothing that's taught in our culture and in, our, in, 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 in many of our, our, our sciences today in our classes. But somehow modern culture has lost the simplicity of God's plan. Now, I'm going to talk more about culture in a moment, but I want to I focus on this purpose of marriage about having children. You know, there's there's a there's a class there's a type of thinking that looks at children as nuisances, as bad. Uh, They crimp your lifestyle. They're not a good thing. You know, uh, world population experts talk talk about the replacement population. You know, and if you can't fill it with your own uh, uh, people from your own nation, then you uh, you you bring migrants in so you can keep your GDP going and all these things. But the Bible gives us this idea. Psalm 127. It says, "Children are a." Say it with me. A gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. The Message Bible says, How blessed are you parents with your quiver full of children. So the Bible speaks of the blessing of having children in our lives. Uh, being, uh, Being a parent, though, is more than just having babies. There's a responsibility that comes with parenting, raising them to know God and follow His ways. Now let me say this, this is a very difficult message for me because there are no perfect families in the world today. Mine's not perfect, yours is not perfect, and sometimes we look at a biblical ideal and we kind of feel like, well, you know, my life is not as good, or, or I'm a less than, or it's not going to be happy. Let me tell you this, friends. Wherever your family is today, if it's good, it can be better. If it's in trouble, how many know we can trust that God can help us as we walk in His ways to make our families healthier and stronger? And this is what I'm talking about today because our families are not perfect. We live in a broken world and family is complicated. How many know when someone dies in your family? How many know that changes the whole dynamic when someone dies? uh, I, I would suggest that probably every one of us in this room have been directly or indirectly impacted by divorce. My parents were 21 when they divorced. It impacted me. Mom called me when I was in a Navy barracks in a Moffett Field, California, and I remember walking around in a daze for a day. Now, listen, I love my mom. I love my dad. They care deeply about each other. They relate to one another well. We play games together when I go back. But dad's remarried, and when I go back at Christmas, I go to mom's house and come in. Oh, dad's not in the living room on Christmas morning. I mean, it's complicated. It doesn't mean that we're bad people, but it means that it just family gets complicated. Uh, Kids are born out of wedlock. Uh, there's abuse, there's violence in the home, and maybe you're infertile, can't have a child. Maybe there's adultery. Uh, maybe a parent travels and, and they can't be with the kids' ball games. All these things, maybe sickness has come in the home and, 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 and roles have been changed. Kids are having to become parents almost overnight because mom is sick. Whatever the deal is that's going on in your world today, let me underscore by saying God wants to make a good thing better and he wants to help something that's in trouble And you're going to see this morning with me that the greatest things that you can give your children is a loving mom and a loving dad. Now, uh, I want to go back just a moment about culture because modern culture is not only ignoring God's plan for marriage and family, but it is doing everything it can to squash out this notion of what I'm talking about today. Modern culture teaches us that anyone can marry, gender is irrelevant, and family is anything you want it to be. I in no way undermine the fact the closeness of relationships in some non-traditional families. I mean, no, we're all created for community. I applaud efforts of people reaching out to other people other than just those biologically related and trying to bring people in to this place of love and acceptance that we have. But let me say this, friends. Uh, Modern culture may say anyone can marry and gender is irrelevant, but they're wrong. The Bible teaches and research confirms, and I'll share some research later, but kids do best with a female mom and a male dad. God's intent is not that a man be a woman or a man be an androgynous man. Come on. That's what I was taught 30 years ago in psychology classes, that we were trying to, to, to neuter the masculinity in a man. We're trying to push women in America today to be just like men. I believe if a woman wants to serve in the military, God bless her, but I don't believe our nation should enlist and recruit women just like they do men and treat them the same in the barracks. We're different. God created us different. Let me go a step further. This cultural attack on what we call the traditional family or the biblical family is defiance against God's will and His design. What we see going on in our culture today is not just a redefinition of society, but what we're seeing today is a defiance against God's order. I read a report this week, the Family Research Council reported that our own army, the U.S. Army, recently is began conducting mandatory transgender soldier training. The army, the military's largest branch, is telling female soldiers, you just go ahead and expect there's going to be biological men in your showers. Now listen, the incidence of rape in our armed forces is off the charts Incidences of suicide in our armed forces, I think 22 a day in our active and and, in our veterans, 22 people a day are taking their lives. Something is wrong in the path that we're going. Christian chaplains are prohibited in our military today from referring and using, in many cases, the name of Jesus. It's like there's a stifling effect on anything that's biblical. Here's another one back to the military. The army now, uh, is—is troops are told to imagine this. In this training session, this indoctrination they're going through, They say a soldier comes in and they have a complete army gender transition from female to male. But they don't have sex reassignment surgery. In other words, a woman says, I want to be a man. So she dresses like a man, acts like a man. They give her hormones, but yet she doesn't have the surgery. So she's still got a female biology. Uh, But she stops taking male hormones and she tries to start a family. Imagine the showers and everything else. And then the soldier gets pregnant and approaches the commanding officer looking like a man but discussing his pregnancy. A policy on male pregnancy. Something is wrong in America today. When people ignore God's design for marriage and family, everybody suffers. But let me say this and let me say it in no uncertain terms. As a Christian, I should love people that are involved in a lifestyle that's contrary to what the Bible would teach. I can love people, not judge them, not hate them, not look down their nose. Listen, I remember the way I used to be. Now, I didn't have problem being gay or transgender, but I had my own set of problems. Are you with me today? Listen, I'm a sinner just like you're a sinner like everyone else in the world. How many know we're sinners saved by the grace of God? And we can love people, but at the same time stand for what's truthful. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. And to believe a biblical teaching and to share in an appropriate way. And I'm not t- listen, you'll never find me out uh, uh, picketing a parade. Okay, are you with me today? You'll never find me uh, out lambasting people. I love people. I want to see everybody come into the kingdom of God. I want to see everybody go to heaven. And I want to see everybody living the way God has designed us to live. But that is not our culture. And somehow we must teach our children, we must not allow the teachings of the world. Come on, whether it comes through television, whether it comes through N T V, whether it comes through the words of a rapper, whether it comes through a course in a school in the second grade. How many know God has made us men and women, we're different, and family is a man and a woman, and children do best in a family that's like that. Come on, give the Lord a good a good hand today. Now let me give you just a little research. There was, there was literally volumes of information I could share with you. But probably the best summary I read was from Focus on the Family. And Focus on the Family referenced a study done with family scholars from eight major universities across America. Not Christian universities, major research universities across America. And here's what they found for the benefits of children who live with mom and dad in the home. Here's what's going to happen to these kids. They'll live longer healthier lives physically and mentally. It is important, a mom and a dad. They'll do better in school. They're more likely to graduate and attend college. They're less likely to live in poverty. This is research. This is facts. This is not the preacher talking. Uh, And it's referenced in my notes. You can read the link. They're less likely to be in trouble with the law, less likely to drink or do drugs, less likely to be violent or sexually active, less likely to be victims of sexual or physical violence, and they're more likely to have a successful marriage when they get older. So the greatest gift that I can give with my, to my children is to find a way to make my marriage work. Are you with me today? Listen, there is trouble out there in marriage, Bill. And again, I don't, I don't presume that, that, that some of us are living in a, you know, a hell on earth. But I'm just telling you, for the sake of your children, the more you can do to work towards the input of mother and dad in that child's life, the better they're going to be. Now, let me shift gears. The second part of this message has to deal with four big needs our kids have. Now, again, you're going to get something out of this if you're a parent, a grandparent, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach. Or if you're in here and you're a high school or college student, this is going to help you relate to your friends. Because all of us have four major needs, and the first one is the need for affirmation. The second is the need for direction. The third is the need for correction. And the last is the need for unconditional love. Now, let's talk first about affirmation. And again, my heart, it breaks as I look over the congregation. This is a very hard message for me to speak. I look across the congregation and see people that I love and care for that are in the midst of a divorce, and I know they're trying hard. I see people in this congregation that don't even know who their father is. I can call my dad anytime on the phone. I can send a Father's Day. Uh, I I, I can be fairly well uh, assured that on my birthday, his his wife uh, will remind him to call me. But some of us don't have that. And we wonder what is missing inside, what is broken inside could well be a father wound. We live in a broken world. We live under the curse. That's why it's so important that, that, that we, as God allows us to do, open our lives to people outside of our little nuclear leave-it-to-beaver family. I mean, the Roys adopted two little three-year-old girls because mom struggled with drugs and couldn't raise them. I look across the congregation and I see people that refer to, people that refer to Dorothy as mother that they're not related to her. Their skin color is different. They're from different parts of the country. But she fills a role in their life as a mother. I mean, no, I don't have to be a biological father to you to help you as a dad. This is what we are as the body of Christ. Uh, I don't believe in the, the concept of socialism where you know it takes a child to raise a village, but I do believe very much that the influence of godly men and godly women upon, for, on other people's lives can help turn the course of a generation. If I can turn a young man that's headed for the streets, come on, that's headed for a life of crime and drugs and jail, if I can turn his heart towards God, come on, by putting up a basketball, helping him get some air in that basketball, spending a little time from him, bringing him some water to drink to earn his trust, and I can begin to share with him, I can help him get a job, come on, I am pointing that kid towards a future that he can turn the curse of what happened to him. So let's see all all of us, let's see not just the, the, the child that bears your name, but our influence on people is this first need of affirmation. And I'm gonna to have to go quickly. I may need three or four extra minutes today. Who give me extra minute? Two, one, two, three, four, five, six, six seven. Eight. I got about ten minutes all that's all I'll need. So don't, don't 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 worry. Matthew 17. Affirmation by definition means words that validate our worth and recognize our accomplishments. That's exactly what you did when your little angel was on this stage here. Come on. Whether they were acting like an angel or a devil, whether they lose the words or not, when they were looking around, they weren't looking for me. They were looking for you. I saw a little girl showing mommy, look at my shoes. They're just like yours. See, this is what we're talking We're talking about affirmation. Matthew 17, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. He led them on a high mountain. And as these men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. This was supernatural. Uh, Scholars call this the transfiguration. Suddenly, something else big happens. Moses and Elijah, not ghosts, not spirits, not aberrations, they appeared and they began talking with Jesus. If that's not enough, a cloud overshadows everybody, and a voice from the cloud This is God the Father speaking to Christ the Son, primarily for Peter, James, and John. He says, this is my beloved Son. This is what Jesus heard. This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Listen to Him. Now, certainly the disciples were benefited from this, but I suggest to you as well, Jesus the man was strengthened by this. Jesus was not just God, though he was. Jesus was also a man, so he could identify with our infirmities. And Jesus heard his father tell him, I'm proud of you. I like what you're doing. What you're doing is making a difference in this world. And and, and for people, listen, every one of us, I'm 60 years old, and I still need this. I need it from my dad if he'll give it to me. If he won't, I'm fishing for my wife. How did I do? And you're the same way. No. Why do you have all those deer horns hanging around your house? Why do you have dead fish on the wall at your house? Come on now. You shoot a turkey with two beards? You're doing more than just posting that. Your wife says, oh, honey, I'm going to send it into the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. No, you don't need to do that. And the next day, did you mail the letter? (laughs) See, you all need this. Girls, you thought guys played football because they like to pass and catch and hit and bleed. No. They did it for the cheerleaders and the people in the stands. (laughs) Well, you still have that need. And if you have it, how much more your little 13-year-old girl that has zits on her face and everybody's making fun of her and picking her, or, or at least she thinks they are, when actually they think she's, uh, her friends think she's the prettiest girl in the school and they're jealous of her, but she looks in the mirror and then she opens a magazine and sees models who epitomize beauty and they're so anorexic you could see through them if a flashlight was on their back. She needs a daddy telling her, you're pretty. You're pretty and daddy's proud of you. You have a nine-year-old boy playing ball, and he didn't have his speck of athletic ability. He's sitting on the bench, and you lettered in your freshman year on the varsity team. He doesn't need a dad to show him dad's trophy and make him feel bad. He needs a dad to say, son, if you don't like football, let's try something else, because I know God created you to win in this life, and we're going to find what it is. And if it's not sports, that's okay. You could be the best golfer. Listen, Tiger Woods needs a replacement. He's falling apart, son. You could be his replacement one day. This is affirmation. It's helping people who don't believe in themselves, believe in themselves. Here's the second thing we need. We need direction. This word direction, it's teaching, it's training, it's instruction. Proverbs 22, but let me say this. We need the right instruction. Because the wrong instruction, listen, you try to put something together and you use the wrong directions, it's not going to work. Proverbs 22, 6, train children to live the right way. I mean, no, there's a wrong way and there's a right way. And this is where our culture, again, has fallen in the ditch. Our culture tells us today there are no moral absolutes. There's no absolute truth in the world today. Everybody can figure out on their own what's right and wrong. That's horse poopy. The Message Bible says, point your kids in the right direction. And when they're old, they'll not stray from it. I had kind of a wild uh, trip in my teenage years. And, and, and uh, the guy that I baptized was on a, you know right there with me when I was in high school. And we did things that I won't tell you and I wouldn't let my mother tell my children. And I'm glad the police officer didn't find out because there was a thing or two that I could have done. Thankfully, I think the uh, statute of limitations is over. (laughs) Stay with me on this. But my mother got me in church. My mother... Not only bought me a Bible, read Bible stories to me when I was a child. And something took root in my heart that overwhelmed the craziness and helped me end up going in the right direction. You train This is a promise from God, parents. Point your kids in the right direction. When they're older, they won't stray from it. Let me say this to you. Children need to be taught how to think and how to behave. And if I don't do it as a parent, a rapper will do it. A TV producer will do it. A pornographer on the internet will do it. Come on, someone in jail will do it to them and radicalize them. They need to be our godless culture that we live in today, our public education system. And I'm grateful for our public schools. I've got three kids that that, that went through them. Two of them made it good. One of them's headed in the right direction. But I'm going to tell you, there's some things in our public schools that concern me deeply. When the idea of Common Core was first introduced, I thought, well, what a great, great idea. Have kids all across America making sure that all of them are learning math, all of them are learning science, all of them are learning how to read. That just makes sense that kids in impoverished areas, you know, are not suffering as kids in, you know, prestigious areas. But the problem is, is that this not just teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic. The problem is it teaching a godless value system in life, the beginning place for it. Listen, you're not going to find God in public schools. And if you find him somewhere, it's just a phone call away from an an atheist group coming in, tell the school they can't do that anymore. No Bible in your school, no prayer in your school. When we open the science book, I don't care what grade it in, it starts with an amoeba, and over some you take a little time and you add in the amoeba becomes a monkey, and the monkey becomes. Come on, what's what's sitting next to you today? I mean, that's that's what kids are taught. Kids go to school and they're not taught consequences for their actions. They're not taught one day they're going to stand before God and they're going to give an account for their life. There was a day when the Ten Commandments of the Bible were on the walls of public school buildings. And we replaced the Ten Commandments on the walls of school buildings with metal detectors, police dogs, come on now, and see-through backpacks because we have thrown aside God's ways. Children need to be taught how to think and behave. This is why we must teach our children the Bible. Listen. This is what your these kids were not just performing up here. What they're doing upstairs is more than just getting a token so they can buy a little toy. Come on, you can buy all the trinkets you want to. We're we're trying to make learning about God fun up there because we're the only help you have in this world. And I don't mean our church. There's dozens of great churches across Texas or Canada, but the church is your only partner to raise godly kids in America today. It's the only partner that you have. You let them turn on most of their TV, most of their internet, most of what they most of what they hear in other places. That's why, listen. The teaching kids the Bible must be our priority. Second Timothy three fifteen, Paul's uh, uh, protege in ministry says, "You have been." See, see, I'm not just scratching my ear and being having a senior moment. I want you to tell me what's on the screen. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood childhood and they've given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. You will not learn in a public school or university in America today how to find salvation through Jesus Christ. Even the great college, most of the colleges and universities in America today were founded as Christian institutions. If you don't believe me, go back and look at Harvard, go back and look at Yale, look at their founding documents, look at their charters, and you will see deliberate Christian biblical uh, language that has been thrown aside for the wisdom of man. And we have the mess we're in today. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true. true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. And before I change, let me ask you this question. Why does, on a Friday night, why is one kid joining in a riot that's going on burning cars and one kid stays home and studies for the ACT test? Why does one kid call police pigs and one say, yes, sir? Why does one kid get up some point reasonably in the morning and do some chores to learn responsibility and another gets up at 12 or 1 or whenever they want to because they don't have anything to do and no responsibility? What's the difference between these two? The world tells us it's race. It's not race. It's training. It's who is influencing me. Who is influencing our kids. Come on, give the Lord a good good hand. I need to go quickly. The third point, correction, Proverbs 13, 24. If you do not punish your children, you don't, love them. you don't love them. But if you love your children, you will correct them. Correct your children while there is still hope and don't let them destroy themselves. Not only do kids need to be taught what's right, they need to be corrected when they do wrong. And the purpose of correction is to promote good behavior that will be rewarded in this life and the one to come. Let me tell you this, four levels of legitimate authority in the world. The first one is the home. The second is the church. The third is civil authority, judges, the sheriff. And the fourth is ultimately the throne of God on judgment day, which we will every knee bow and everyone confess that Jesus is Lord. But authority is there, exists, exists. To help us know the difference between right and wrong and call us to choose the right way. And if you ignore the family, if you ignore the youth pastor in the church, if you ignore the sheriff, there's something beyond death row for you, friends. This is the purpose of authority, and this is why we correct. So, it, 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 Because if I don't teach my child to obey the laws, the next level of authority will. Proverbs 15:10 says, Whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined... Whoever hates correction will die. Now, let me say this. This is particularly with our, our younger children. Correction takes many forms. Time out, uh, spanking, taking away privileges, rewarding good behavior. Let me say you've got to find out what works with your kids. When I was a boy and did something wrong, mom would tell me, when your daddy gets home, you're getting a spanking. Oh, no, mama, please, please, please. Not. I, don't, I don't want to spanking. Mama, you please spank me, not daddy. When my youngest, Rebecca, did something wrong and said, you're going to get a spanking. No, here's what Rebecca would say. When you do something wrong, she'd say, please don't take my TV away. I need my Disney. Please don't take this. Spank me, Daddy. Don't take my Disney away from me. you got to find what works. But you got to be deliberate at it. Let me, let me, let me say this about spanking. We don't talk about it much in our culture. It, it seems to be disappearing. Uh, The Bible does reference it, particularly in the book of Proverbs. But let me give you a little advice about this if you choose to discipline your kids this way. First of all, it should never, ever be done in anger. And a spanking should never bruise. Don't don't, don't hit your child on the arm or the back and say, I spanked them. No, you didn't. You abused that child. That's not what a spanking is. There's a place for a spanking. It should sting and not bruise. Now, listen to me. It should be rare. And if you spank, it should be in private. You don't want to embarrass that child, and you don't want, you know, get in trouble in today's culture. Last thing you want to do is spank somebody in the parking lot. But let me say this. When you spank that child, they need to know clearly why you did. And I hope there's a tear in your eye. Because you're not just trying to push your will on this child. You're trying to save this child. And I hope as soon as... It, my wife and I, it, it, we rarely spanked our kids. I tell, I tell people, uh, I'd have spanked my girls if they needed it, but they didn't need it. Yeah, you're with me today. That was another <laughs> joke, too, there. Uh, but, 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 but if you spank your child, as soon as you do, put that child in your lap and put your arms around them. And tell them that Daddy loves you. And Daddy wants you to stop doing what you're doing. Because if you, I don't care what it is, you just pick, you just pick something that's going to be detrimental. Daddy doesn't want you, listen honey, daddy doesn't want you to steal. Because if you steal, you could end up going to jail. Yes. I'm moving on now. Not only do the kids need our affirmation, they need our, 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 our teaching, our direction, they need our correction. But this last one, they need unconditional love. Now, let me read this parable. It's Luke 15. It begins this way. It's showing how the Heavenly Father feels about people who do wrong. In that chapter, it's lost sheep, it's lost coins, and it's lost people. And the picture is how our Heavenly Father loves us when we do wrong and mess up. And I want to suggest it's an example to follow. the, The idea that, you know, you've seen this phrase in movies, if you marry him, you are dead to me. Your child is never dead to you. Let's, keep, let's, let's read. Luke 15. Tax collectors and notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, isn't this interesting? It was not just the religious people that came. Listen, I hope our church is filled with broken people. I hope our church is filled with people that either come to church or go to jail. Are, are you with me today? Because Jesus said it's not, it's not that those that are well that need a physician. It's those that are sick. And these people that had the brokenness of society in generations, they came to Jesus. And, uh, of course, the Pharisees were complaining and angry that he associated with him. But, but here's the story, and, and here's the, the, the spiritual application. A man had two sons. In the parable, the picture of the, uh, God is, is embodied in this man, this father. He had two sons. The second son we won't talk about. He represented the Jews that were angry at Jesus. But it's this first son that went crazy. That I want you to see how Dad responded. The younger son told his father, I I want my share of the estate before you die. (laughs) Now, I wouldn't have done this, but this father agreed. In other words, listen, I want to take all those, your gun collection, I'm taking them, I want them right now. And and when I get them, I'm taking them to the pawn shop, I'm getting whatever they'll give me, and I'm going to go have some fun. Now, this was a grown child, it was not a kid. When you start with your children, you're holding them in your hands like this. But the rest of your parenting, you're slowly moving your hands. I'm talking about influence behind your back to where you get to the point, my son now, he's 28, I hope he listens to some things dad says, but I can't make him do it. Are you with me today? And somewhere beyond elementary, these beautiful kids that you saw up here, somewhere those kids are developing a will of their own. And at some place, God did, listen, this father did not tackle this child, put him in chains and make him live in a closet. He let him exercise their free will and I cannot tell you where to draw that line. But I'm saying this adult son was allowed to go a wayward path. Uh, The younger son, verse 13, he goes to a distant land. By the way, he picked him up a nice little Beamer on the way. He drove to Las Vegas in the Beamer, but he wasted all his money in wild living. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he got a a Ford truck because the Chevrolet wouldn't do. (laughs) About the time his money ran out a great famine swept over the land and began to starve let me tell you this if you have a home and you're trying to live godly a famine is not a bad thing to turn somebody's hearts back to god and i don't just mean physical starving but i mean if you're running away from god come on your friends are going to get scuzzier and scuzzier come on now Mom told you not to drink and do drugs, but when you start, your, your friends are going to change, your grades are going to drop, and you're going to get out there, and the same friends you're getting high with, they're going to run out of pot, they're going to steal your money so they can go get some more meth because they can't help themselves. And one day, you're going to hit the very bottom, and this child did. The Bible says he came to his senses. And there's a spiritual connotation here. It's called repenting. He scratched his head and said, maybe God's ways are better. When he came to his senses, he said, I'm going home to my father and mother, and I'm going to say, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son any more than you and I are worthy of being gods. While he was a long way off, his father saw him. This dad didn't write this child off. This dad loved and cared about this child, even when he or she was in jail. Come on, even when he was running the street, even when she was sleeping with anyone that would pick her up. Daddy loved her. It didn't mean he approved. And this is the difficult thing. How do I show my love for my child and not my approval? I cannot, exp- I cannot simply explain that one to you. But I know this. The Bible said Daddy was filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. And this son rightfully said, Father, I've sinned. But the dad said, the dad didn't say, you sure have. You go sit in the corner. You re-earn your right to be in this household. After all, you're going to eat in the other room. No, No, he didn't. He killed the fatted calf. He said, let's celebrate with a feast. My son was lost, but now is found. And if that's the way God will treat me when I go crazy, shouldn't I treat my kids with the same unconditional love? I want to let them know that what they're doing is wrong, but I want to also let them know that when they want to come home, the door's always open. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. I'll close with this. Let me shift gears here, and we're going to have the dads come down. We've got a little gift we want to give you, and I promise you I will not make you cry or hold hands with everybody. So just hang on just a second. Let me shift gears just a second, and let's now talk for this last scripture how kids relate to mom and dad. How should I relate to my parents? Well, Ephesians 6 tells us children obey. It was our favorite scripture we taught our kids. Yeah. Ephesians 6, one. Listen, if they're two years old, they can learn children obey. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. It's the right thing to do. Your obedience as a child turns into verse 2. Honor your father and mother. It means esteem and value them as precious. It's the first commandment with the promise. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. You realize this is one of the, it's number five in the Ten Commandments, which says if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you'll have a long life on the earth. And here's what I want to tell you in my closing remarks today, friend. Obedience starts in childhood, but as we grow older, obedience turns into honor, and honor is for a lifetime. And this honor is not dependent on how our father treats us. You may have a bad relationship with your dad, and you may be very outgoing, and when you see him, you wave your middle finger at him, or you maybe curse at him, or he calls you, and you just, you know, you let him have it. Because your therapist told you. You are a victim. And it's okay that you express your rage. Not what the Bible says. Somewhere that's to turn into honor. Well, what they did was wrong. Absolutely what they did was wrong. But what you did to your heavenly father was wrong. So treat them with honor, even if they don't deserve it, but because you and I are Christians, give them the honor they deserve. I would never think of cursing my father, but I would do things like a passive-aggressive would do, is not call him until he calls me and go two years and nobody speaks. I tell you, friends, if we will show our parents honor, obedience, and honor the rest of their lives... God will bless us. I told my kids on a, vac- on a vacation. It was my 60th. We wanted it to be special. I said, I don't want to go where it's hot. I want to go to the mountains somewhere. We thought about going to Colorado, but instead we cho- chose some smaller mountains in Georgia because mom lives in Mississippi, and I could pick up my mother on the way. Why would you do that? Honor. Because my mother loved me and still loves me. And Honor is a godly principle of life. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today and I apologize for the extra moment, but I want to just pray for everyone that's here today. I just want you to just bow your heads a moment and just simply, I want to ask you this question, what might the Holy Spirit be saying to you? whatever it is, friend, just say yes wherever the Word of God crossed to your thinking, your behavior, your feelings, your hurt, let God have it today. Just simply say yes to the Lord and be willing to make whatever change God might ask of us. For many of us, it's to honor our parents. For some of us, it's obedience and it's hard when you know more than mom and dad. For others, it's the pain of the way we were treated or what we didn't get. We have a father wound. But Holy Spirit, whatever it is, we just simply want to slip our hands to heaven and say, Lord, would you please help us? We need you. We want to just release our fathers who failed us. Could you do this just a moment? Nobody looking around. This is you and God. Just as I have been forgiven for my mistakes, I want to forgive my dad. I want to forgive him for his failures. I want to forgive him for what he did to my mother. I want to forgive him because he wasn't there when I sang or played ball or whatever. I forgive today. And I want to encourage you if you're here and you're feeling shame and condemnation because of what you did not do. My friends, that is not from God. That is from the devil. And God wants to forgive you today. For some of us, it may be a phone call this afternoon, not just from the kids to dad, but from dad to the kids. Saying, I'm sorry for something. But whatever it is, Holy Spirit, we just want to say yes. And I just want to speak a blessing today over all my friends. And I want to pray that you bless our home and bless our family and make it a special place in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the ladies, you'd be seated. And the guys, why don't you come on up to the front. We've got a little gift for you. And I think you'll uh, you'll like this little video as you're coming. It's worth it up to the front. I don't know if anybody's going to tell you thank you today, but I want to tell you thank you. And I want to tell you thank you for this. I want to tell you thank you for endeavoring to be a spiritual man. I don't mean you're perfect, but you're in church this morning. There's a lot of places you could be because I promise you God will help you become the person that he wants you to be and the one you dream about being if you just give him a chance. And I want to say thank you because I know probably most of you are like me. There are times in my life I hadn't served the Lord, but I am today. I can't do anything about tomorrow But I can about the rest of my future Because I'm telling you The greatest gift that you can give your kids Is that you love their mother And if you're still married to their mother Listen friends, you fight for your marriage And if, they're, if you're not married to their mother Listen, don't speak evil of her She may deserve it But don't do it Don't speak evil of her don't, don't make those kids choose between you and her You be a peacemaker Jesus said, "Blessed are the peacemakers; that will be called children of God." Because there's a gift in a complicated, imperfect world. If we do godly things, we're more apt to set up our kids for a blessing. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for working hard. Because the Bible says, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel or worse than an unbeliever. And it's hard today. We look. Some of us look around and say, "I wish I'd have whatever. I wish I'd have gone to college. I wish I'd have got a doctorate degree. I wish I'd have whatever." I want to say thank you for working hard. That's the way my dad showed love to me because he was raised in the Depression era after the Depression. And he wanted to get his kids what he didn't have. I don't know if your kids will ever say thank you. Most kids just assume it's their right. But I want to say thank you for your endeavoring to provide for your family. And I want to lastly say thank you for being willing to pray for your family. Whether it's you've seen any change or not, you keep it up. Because you and God friend can make a difference. Here's what I tell people. If I can't talk to you about God, I can talk to God about you. And God has a way of bringing that prodigal home. Let's pray for these men. Ladies, lift your hand towards them. Men, don't ever, don't dare hold anybody's hand, okay? But, Lord, we want to pray for all of our, these men around the altar today. Hard to be a man in America. But I want to pray that you would give us all grace, grace to be spiritual, godly men, grace to love our wives as Christ loved the church, grace to... Not demand our own way. That's real hard for me. Lord, I want to pray that you would favor each one of them. Everything they do. Bless their home and bless all they set their hand to. And I pray that their tomorrows are better than their today's. And I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Give these guys a big hand. And these ladies got some gifts from you. God bless you. I love you.